Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Thank you for joining me today once again as we look at another important end-time principle. And thank you for your prayers, friendship, and support. I thank God for the opportunity He has given me to share with you. Recently, I worked with Pastor Stephen Bohr to organize a one-day event called Religious Liberty in the Age of Trump. No doubt you heard about it. The DVDs are produced. Call our office and order your copy. You'll find them very interesting. There were four ministries involved. Pastor Steve Wahlberg of Whitehorse Media and Pastor Gary Jensen of the Fresno Central Seventh-day Adventist Church joined us for the day. Our new DVD series called Firebell in a Night, which was also done at Secrets Unsealed Studio, should be ready by now as well. Call our office for details. That's 540-672-3553. And don't forget to order your copy of Pastor Austin Cook's book called An Enduring Vision. This is a verse-by-verse study of the book of Revelation uh, by Pastor uh, Austin Cook, who was one of those faithful pastors who stood for the truth against the apostasy of Desmond Ford and his followers. He suffered much for his high crime, as I call it, but heaven will honor him, no doubt. Order your copy today. It's only $30 plus postage, and it's a very large book. Again, call our office. And by the way, my office manager, Barbara, has started reading it, and she loves it. Lastly, don't forget to share our CDs with others and also invite them to fill out a pink card and send it in so that they can receive our little CD preachers and get ready for the coming of Jesus. I just want to share with you something that was published in GQ magazine recently in an article entitled 21 Books You Don't Have to Read, of which the Bible was one. Here's what they wrote about the Bible. The Bible is repetitive, self-contradictory, sententious, which means moralizing, foolish, and even at times ill-intentioned. It's obvious that to any true Christian that this is the blind leading the blind, and they think they're so GQ. By the way, GQ means a man who is dressed very nicely, very sleek, and very attractive. But friends, don't listen to the GQ editors. The Bible is the best book that was ever written. It is the most consistent book, and it interprets itself through the writings of many authors. What secular people, like the editors of GQ magazine, don't realize is that its beauty and symmetry, its magnificence and power, are disguised in what to them looks like repetitive, self-contradictory, sententious, foolish, and even at times ill-intentioned drivel. But the Bible is the most life-changing book anyone will ever read, if it is read under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, something that the GQ editors manifestly don't have. In fact, it can save your soul and bring you eternal life, something that the editors of GQ, who sit in scoffer's row, like the men in the days of Noah and Lot, may not find very interesting. 
Today we're going to go back to that so-called sententious Bible and continue our study of the life of Samson and its practical application for today. Samson is an amazing figure that was under the special guidance of providence, yet he came far short of what he could have been. As we study his life, it is important to understand that its prophetic significance to our time gives us an understanding of a major issue that God's church is facing in these last days. So let us begin with prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are awed by how much the Bible has to say to us today in our context in an age that scoffs at its revelations. While many people turn their back on the Bible because they say it isn't relevant or because someone ridicules those who appreciate and live by its sacred truths, we find it more relevant and prophetic than ever. Father, please, in Jesus' name, send your Holy Spirit to teach us the deep things of God today so that our light will shine amid the moral darkness of the world. Thank you for the light that the Bible brings into our lives, and may we understand it as you would have us do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us begin by opening our Bibles, that sacred book which brings us light from heaven, to the book of Judges, chapter 14. Beginning with verse 1 and 2, we begin to see that Samson is not what he should have been. Verse 1 says, And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. Samson had the best conditions designed to prepare him to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Samson and his parents lived in the hill country overlooking the Philistine plain, which gave Samson the best position to see what kind of people the Philistines were and understand what he would be up against. The family of Manoah was one of the few families that had not fallen into the general apostasy of the times and had remained true to God. His mother was very temperate in her eating and drinking and was very careful not to do anything that would jeopardize her son's chances of serving the Lord as he was called to do. She trained him in the Nazarite vows and taught him that God had chosen him for the special work of delivering his people from the oppression of the Philistines. She tried very diligently to train him in right habits and temperance from his birth. No doubt there were times when Samson's little mind swelled with enthusiasm for what God had given him to do, especially as he grew in physical size and strength under the blessing of the Lord. He was massive, and he was the strongest of all the lads in Israel. Samson knew that his tremendous physical strength did not come from his physique, but from God. But something began to happen to Samson. Listen to this description from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 562. Had Samson obeyed the divine commands as faithfully as his parents had done, his would have been a nobler and happier destiny. But association with idolaters corrupted him. The town of Zorah being near the country of the Philistines, Samson came to mingle with them on friendly terms. Thus in his youth, intimacies sprang up, the influence of which darkened his whole life. A young woman dwelling in the Philistine town of Timnath engaged Samson's affections, and he determined to make her his wife. The irony is that Samson was just at the point where he was entering in upon manhood, the very time when he must begin to engage in the work God had appointed him. It was the time above all others that he should have been faithful to God. But instead, he connected himself with the enemies of Israel. 
Now let us understand this spiritually in our context today. We're also to help deliver souls from the oppression of sin and Satan, just as Samson was to deliver Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. And we are to do that through the special message that God has given to us in these last days, the three angels' messages. If that message is understood and followed, God will truly deliver the humble soul from the deceptions of the last days, and they will join God's true people in heaven with Christ forever. It's also interesting that Samson had a health message that was given him to live by. We too have a health and lifestyle message embedded in the three angels' messages of Revelation 14. You know where that is, right? Verse 6, Fear God, give glory to Him. Now let us read 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So if we're going to glorify God, it involves eating, drinking, and doing, in other words, your lifestyle. Not only will that message deliver us from many diseases if we follow it, it will also keep our minds sharp and perceptive so that we can discern and avoid the enemy's temptations. So in many ways, Samson represents the three angels' messages. These are powerful messages, just as Samson was powerful physically, more powerful than any other message And while it involves the main points of the gospel, it is much, much more than that. Samson's strength represents the power of the Holy Spirit. So the three angels' messages will become most powerful when God's people, who proclaim them, have the Holy Spirit in the latter reign. They are designed to help you purify your life through healthful living and temperance in all things, just as Samson was ordained to live a pure life unto God as a Nazarite. Friends, what is a woman in Bible prophecy? Yes, of course, that's a church. This woman of Timnath, prophetically or symbolically, represents an apostate church that connects with God's people, an ecumenical church. She is a Philistine, but for whatever reason, she has some appeal to those who have been called to teach and proclaim God's last message to mankind. Unfortunately, many of those who have been called, like Samson, have dabbled with the enemy through self-indulgence. And today, at the time when it is most important to be faithful to God and to the three angels' messages, some, if not many, of God's people are involved with the enemies of spiritual Israel. Most churches have no interest in upholding the Bible Sabbath, for instance. They have no interest in understanding what the Bible teaches about what happens to us after we die. They have no idea what the sanctuary message is, and most of them have no interest in it or its implications for their lives. In fact, many of them despise the things God has given to his last day church, the remnant. They hate the Sabbath, which is the final test of loyalty to God, and they do everything in their power to dissuade their flocks from considering what God has said concerning the Sabbath. Listen to this powerful statement from the book Great Controversy, page 607. As the controversy extends into new fields, and the minds of the people are called to God's downtrodden law, Satan is astir. The power attending the message will only madden those who oppose it. The clergy will put forth almost superhuman efforts to shut away the light, lest it should shine upon their flocks. By every means at their command, they will endeavor to suppress the discussion of these vital questions. The Church appeals to the strong arm of civil power, and in this work, Papists and Protestants unite. 
As the movement for Sunday enforcement becomes more bold and decided, the law will be invoked against commandment keepers. They will be threatened with fines and imprisonment, and some will be offered positions of influence and other rewards and advantages as inducements to renounce their faith. How can God's people join with those who hate the message? How can they unite with the churches who are as determined as can be to prevent the light from shining upon their members? Friends, joining with the churches that have taken a position to defend Sunday observance when God has commanded us to keep the Sabbath will remove our strength and the strength of the message. The ecumenical movement has nothing to offer God's true people. Just look at what happened to the Protestant churches, like the Lutherans and the Presbyterians and Anglicans and Episcopalians, the Evangelicals and others, under the powerful influence of the ecumenical movement. Rome started the ecumenical movement after the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s. Today it has matured, and almost all of the churches have gone into ecumenical dialogue with Rome. They're willing to lay aside the truth in order to unite with the Roman Catholic Church. They think Rome genuinely wants to unite with them and be friends with them while remaining as their own distinctive denominations. But Rome wants to control them. It wants to determine their actions and strip them of their protest, which it has done very successfully. It has gotten so bad, and the churches are so blind, that many declare that the protest is over. Yet Rome has the same doctrines as during the time when Martin Luther risked his life to expose Rome's abuses. Rome still offers indulgences. Rome still teaches the doctrine of an eternally burning hell. Rome still teaches the uniting of church and state, which gives her amazing control over the nations. Rome still teaches forgiveness of sins by a human priest. Rome still teaches righteousness by works, one of the key arguments that Martin Luther used against her. Most of all, the Catholic Church teaches Sunday sacredness, which is in violation of the commands of God. Do you think it is possible to unite with such a woman? Samson wanted this Timnathite, a worshipper of Dagon, but this was his lust driving him to immoral relationship with her, which God had forbidden. This is strange for an Israelite, let alone a man who is consecrated as a Nazarite to moral purity on every front. Is it possible to have ecumenical ties with the enemy of truth and righteousness? Well, yes, of course, but only at the sacrifice of truth. If we are going to have the moral maturity and moral purity required of God's remnant people, we must avoid all ecumenical activities of the sworn enemies of God's truth. How could this woman be a helpmeet to Samson in his special mission? And how can an ecumenical church help you with your mission today? Samson did not ask whether he could better fulfill the purpose to be accomplished by his life. To all who seek first to honor him, God has promised wisdom. But there is no promise to those who are bent on self-pleasing. That's Patriarchs and Prophets, page 563. The same goes for God's church. If we seek the honor of God, we will not seek ecumenical entanglements and engagements with other churches that will only urge us to let go of our distinctive Bible beliefs and only focus on those doctrines which are common to all. This is a deceptive ploy to get us to give up our doctrines in the service of friendship with the churches that are superficial and do not understand the full message for this time, or that want us to give up those key doctrines that have been given to us by God. Anyone who is guided only by his eyes or by his fancy 
can only thank himself if he finds himself or if she finds herself in the arms of a Philistine, someone who is an enemy of God and his people. Anyone who follows this course of action is not only courting forbidden fruit, they are courting disaster, as Samson surely did. In any case, marriage is more than a mere pleasing to the eye. The question must be asked, is this person worthy of my godly affections? The true worth of a soul is rooted in whether or not they align themselves with the Bible, not whether they please the eye. But when it comes to churches, for God's church to be interloping with churches that do not appreciate the truth for this time, nor have a liking for it, in fact a distaste and a hostility for it, is totally out of character with God's plan. In our time and under our circumstances, if we think that being politically correct in this age of censorship is going to get us to heaven, think again. Showing up at ecumenical events and participating in speeches and other activities is simply leading us down the track of compromise. And once a church has been pulled into the ecumenical movement on a superficial level, there will be plenty of attempts by those who hate our end-time message to draw us further into ecumenism. And as the intimacies spring up, it becomes more and more difficult to be able to explain the distinctive message that has been given to God's people in the last days. And the pressure is to drop it altogether. Here's another interesting statement from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 563. Listen carefully. Satan is constantly seeking to strengthen his power over the people of God by inducing them to enter into alliance with his subjects. And in order to accomplish this, he endeavors to arouse unsanctified passions in the heart. But the Lord has, in his word, plainly instructed his people not to unite themselves with those who have not his love abiding in them. What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? 2 Corinthians six, fifteen and 16. Note the church relationship alluded to in this passage, the temple of God, which is the pillar and ground of truth, with idols, which are the essence of false worship. There can be no connection or affiliation or fornication, as the Bible calls it. Rome in Scripture is called the mother of harlots. It's found in Revelation 17, 5 and 6. And upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. There is no other entity that meets this description and the rest of the description in Revelation 17, verses 2 to 4, than Roman Catholicism. So any church, by uniting with her in ecumenical activities and connections, is lowering itself to an immoral relationship with her that is forbidden by God. It is clear that they do not understand her character. They do not understand her purposes. They think that she has changed since the persecutions of the Dark Ages. But she has only changed her appearance and aesthetic feel. Listen to this incredible statement from the book The Great Controversy, page 571. The papacy is just what prophecy declared that she would be, the apostasy of the latter times, Second Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. It is a part of her policy to assume the character which will best accomplish her purpose. But beneath the variable appearance of the chameleon, she conceals the invariable venom of the serpent. Shall this power, whose record for a thousand years is written in the blood of the saints, 
be now acknowledged as part of the church of Christ? Let us look at verse 3. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren, or among all my people, that thou goest to take a wife for the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. Samson's parents pled with him to find a woman among his own people for a wife. They had watched anxiously as his association with the Philistines of the plains below their home in Israel developed into a friendship with the very ones he would one day have to confront. How could this work? He always had a pious excuse, perhaps, but it still troubled them. You know, he told them, I'm trying to witness to them of the true God. They knew that marriage to an unbeliever and someone who was one of the enemies of God's people couldn't be good. And when he demanded that his parents arrange a marriage with this woman from Timnath, I want you to notice that he did not offer any other reason for marrying her than that she pleased him well. He did not say that she had agreed to become an Israelite believer. He did not even say that she was interested in the truth of God or of giving up her worship of the fish god Dagon. He only argued that she pleased him well. This might have been pleasing to him, but it certainly was not pleasing to God. After all, marrying that heathen woman would make him unequally yoked. His mother and father were, no doubt, devastated by his request. They so longed for him to live righteously. They had noticed things that didn't seem right as he was growing up. They prayed for him earnestly. They remonstrated with him. They reminded him of his mission. But most of all, they knew that being pure and holy while married to this Philistine woman would be virtually impossible. The teachings of Roman Catholicism are actually the result of an ecumenical merger of paganism and Christian doctrines, which has perverted the Christian doctrine to where it is unrecognizable to the Bible, but is very deceptive to people who don't know the Bible. All the pious ritual, ceremony, and pomp makes it look to the untrained eye that the Roman Catholic Church is following Jesus and promoting Christianity. But it is not, and has not, for its entire 2,000-year history. And today we see all those scandals as well. It has instead persecuted the followers of Christ and the Bible. The degrading of true Christianity into a mixture with paganism is the key to understanding how that church can be allied with world leaders and wield considerable geopolitical power. This affiliation with the kings of the earth, as the Bible calls national and global leaders, is identified in the Bible as fornication. Fornication is an illicit act of pleasure designed to unite two people who are not authorized by Scripture to have that relationship. Spiritual fornication is, in essence, the relationship between the kings of the earth and the global religious power of the papacy, which brings temporary pleasure but is immoral and irreligious because it leads to persecution of God's true people. Now let us look at verse 4. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord, that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. How should we understand this? How can something be of God that is patently contrary to his will? What this is saying is that God overruled it, for the Lord could nevertheless use the circumstance to find an occasion against the Philistines. 
In other words, God even used Samson's stubbornness and his licentiousness to fulfill his purposes. Samson's parents, understandably, did not know what God was doing and that he was going to use Samson anyway. They rightly worried about his direction in life, which was in the opposite direction of the thing that God had intended. But God is not short-handed. He can even use those who are very compromised and faulty to fulfill his purpose. They may not have a good outcome, just as Samson did not have a good outcome, but he can still achieve his purpose. Keep in mind that God has tried to engage Samson in his work before. Remember what it says in Judges thirteen twenty-five, And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtaal. In other words, while yet in his youth, God knew that Samson needed encouragement to forget his fancies and his passions and engage in God's work. So the Spirit of the Lord moved upon him at times, and it was known that Samson was called to a special task. Perhaps the gentle social pressure would help Samson make the decision to fully side with God in his plans for Samson. Or perhaps God gave Samson a taste of what it is like for the Holy Spirit to move on his heart so that he would want more of it and avoid those things that would separate him from God. Isn't God merciful, my friends? God extends his hand of fellowship even to people he knows aren't quite right with God. He uses them in his work so that they can understand it and can engage in it more fully and leave off anything that is unchristlike in their lives. But beware, the enemy will try to take advantage of you if you are like that. Let us continue with verse 5 and 6. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath, and came to the vineyards of Timnath, and behold, a lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. There are many levels of understanding in this story, so here is level one, the personal lesson. Apparently his father and mother were not with Samson when the lion attacked him because it says they did not know what he had done. Apparently he had gone off into the vineyards of Timnath, perhaps to eat grapes, which was something God had forbidden him as a Nazarite. Often we are fond of liberty and would like to remove the constraints that the Lord has given us for our happiness and blessing. But by going outside the path set before our feet by the Lord... We only encountered dangers and difficulties that could have been avoided if we had stayed on the high road. His encounter with the lion was hazardous, and so was Samson's course of action with the Philistine woman. How could he maintain his spiritual standing? Now level two, the spiritual lessons. Please note the powerful symbolism. This young lion was strong and fierce. Satan is a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. He is fierce also. The lion was a fitting symbol of the danger of dabbling with sin he was setting out to do. God had sent Samson a warning lion that got in his way. Continuing on his course would only lead him into the jaws of the enemy. And though Samson tore the lion to pieces, the warning was still quite obvious. Turn back was the message. But Samson persisted. Here's another spiritual lesson. Perhaps I should point out that it was God's original purpose to make Samson a fitting symbol or type of Christ, the mighty warrior against the devil and his angels. 
Christ was to deliver his people from the oppression of sin. He was to be their savior. He was to be the mighty God and powerfully overthrow the enemy. He was to restore peace to Israel as the Prince of Peace. Samson was to be a type of all this, yet by turning his back on God's principles and living an impure life, he lost the privilege of that symbolism. Like Moses, who destroyed the symbolism by smiting the rock a second time, God still loved him and had a plan for him. Here's another spiritual lesson. In the special providence of God, by killing the lion, God was also letting Samson know how much strength he actually had. This was a young, strong lion. Does God do that for us? Does God allow circumstances to arise that will motivate our energies and empower our will so that we can gain the faith and experience we need to do what he has really called us to do? Yes, he does. For instance, if we understand the full three angels' messages for these last days, we may think we are weak and cannot wield the Bible sword very effectively, but God puts us into an experience that we may see what we can do under the influence of the Spirit and in the power of God. If you want to disbelieve, He cannot do this for you, and you will be left in darkness. But if you are eager and earnest to know and do the will of God, and you humbly seek His counsel in His Word, He will guide you. Here's another level. The remnant church, as a body, must also gain experience by circumstances that arise. For instance, if we're threatened with the loss of religious freedom, we must arouse to its defense, and for those given that opportunity, they must vigorously defend it. But if we compromise and join an ecumenical alliance, we will not only lose our religious freedom eventually, but we will lose the message and the ability to spread it. Furthermore, we will lose the experience and the power we need to overcome the enemy who wants to remove it from us. Sometimes God raises up a roaring lion, something so serious that we have to take note of it. But not only do we take note of it, we have to spring into instant action to avoid a calamity. Daniel experienced this when he learned that the king had ordered the death of all his wise men. He sprang into action and asked the king for time. This is God's hidden purpose. He uses his enemies to stir up our united action. This is so that God can teach us that we do not need to fear great difficulties. It is so that we may learn that we can, in the Spirit of the Lord, look the greatest difficulties in the face. This is a very important lesson, especially in light of our times and the maturing ecumenical movement, which is designed to isolate all who do not comply with its demands. The young lion stood no chance with Samson, just as the enemy stands no chance with Christ. If we have the faith of Christ, no enemy can withstand us. Christ will fight for us and give us the strength to endure and overcome. And if the church is faithful to her mission, Christ will stand by her side, though the whole world stand against it. Not only that, no ecumenical scheme can overcome God's true people. It's interesting that David, who was to complete the deliverance from the Philistines, would have to fight both the lion and the bear, and he suggested that the uncircumcised Philistine, Goliath, should be as one of them. See 1 Samuel 17.36. In other words, it matters not what kind of beast the enemy may send against God's church. Christ is able to defeat it. Remember, a beast represents a civil power. So when the various types of civil power come against God's church, as prophecy declares it will, we are to understand that in the strength of God, 
not in an ecumenical spirit of compromise in order to get along with the established religious power. We can and must stand against these powers. Christ will stand by our side so that we survive spiritually, though attacked and challenged. There are many different kinds of civil powers, just as there are various dangerous beasts in the wilderness. There is American republicanism, the British Commonwealth, Russian communism, and Chinese communism. There are democracies, dictatorships, and all manner of government structures. So, though one beast differs from another, in God's strength his church can stand on its own without having to compromise with church or state. Now let us read verse 7 and 8. And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. And after a time he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. When Samson came down to solemnize the wedding with his parents, he had the curiosity to turn aside to the vineyard where he had killed the lion and see if it was still there. The birds and beasts had no doubt eaten the flesh from the bones, but the carcass was still there. But to his surprise, there was a swarm of bees that had made a hive of it, and they had laid up a good stock of honey, a staple commodity in the land of Canaan. Samson seized the honey with his hands. No doubt the bees confronted him, but why should the man who did not fear the lion fear the sting of bees? And so in doing this, God taught him not to fear the Philistine giants, and there were a number of them, though they swarmed all around him. He was to stand in the power of God to destroy them and deliver Israel. And for God's church in the last days, the lesson should also be clear. We are not to fear those who may threaten God's people. They may even be ecumenical giants. And for those who do not go along with their enticing bribes and inducements, they may become fierce and threatening. We can take energy from the scriptures that feed us on God's message which is as sweet as honey. The honey is another fitting symbol. It is by the mercy of God that bees manufacture honey that man can use to sweeten his taste. But the symbolism reflects on the joy and sweetness of the deliverance from Israel's enemies. It is a promise, as it were, of that deliverance. Being in the dead carcass, the honey represents the church surrounded by the world. Its work of righteousness and its message is sweet and nourishing to the soul. And at the end of time, the three angels' messages of the remnant church is also sweet as honey, when rightly understood. But Samson was on a fool's errand. He was following his eyes and his passions. He was not following God's truth. He was not living the message that God had given him to keep him pure. Aren't many of God's people today doing likewise? They think they have learned the truth, but in reality they are still carnal and do not want advanced light. They go to church every Sabbath, but that's about it. They live by their eyes and their passions. And here's one more practical lesson. Many times, and I say many times because that's what I think it is, many times we refuse to hear the message that someone may bring to us because it comes to us in vessels that are not ideal to our minds. We think them odd or strange or straight-laced or to this or to that, but the Lord disguises the messenger to see if the people will hear the message. The word of God, the reproof of the Lord, is still sweet as honey, no matter by whom it comes. But there is yet one more lesson for those who faithfully fulfill their God-given duty to proclaim the message for this time. 
when God in his overruling providence brings his church in among their enemies in the last days, it is so that they may glorify God by their righteous and holy lives, not by ecumenical compromise with them. Yet their enemies may pressure God's people. They may threaten them. They may even do evil to them, though they do not deserve it. That's when God can work. It is in times of persecution that God's power is most manifest through the characters of the people of his church. It is during times of oppression that God intends to reveal his outstretched arm and preserve his glory and character. And when God's church is brought into persecution for Sabbath observance in the last days, it will be God who delivers them. He is mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. He will turn their oppression and give them beauty for ashes. That is, when meat comes out of the eater and sweetness comes out of the strong. Samson's alliance with this pagan woman is also a fitting symbol of what we see today among some of God's people. There is a tendency among some, if not many, to join in ecumenical worship activities, and social projects in order to be part of a larger body of so-called Christians who are actually scheming to get them to leave off the Sabbath and lead them down the path to apostasy. They, like Samson's Philistine woman, have no desire to defend God's truth. They are its enemies, and therefore they are the enemies of God's people. We cannot trust them, we cannot unite with them, and we cannot yield to their inducements. Eventually they will turn on the message like they turned on Samson. They cannot be trusted with the secrets of God's truth, for they will twist it and make it out to be the most despicable interpretation of the scriptures. They will accuse God's people of being a cult, but when God's providence allows persecution to come to his church, and when he allows much trouble and trial such as never was to come upon them, it is for his divine purpose— and when God brings good out of evil, and when that which was threatened turns to their advantage, or when their enemies are subdued, that's when meat comes out of the eater, and sweetness comes out of the strong. Let's read verse 9 and 10. And he took thereof in his hands, and went on eating, and came to his father and mother, and he gave them, and they did eat. But he told not them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of a lion. So his father went down unto the woman, and Samson made there a feast, for so used the young men to do. So mighty Samson comes down to the wedding feast. This will be the first time that Samson makes enemies of the Philistines. He is about to start the process of crushing their power. Samson made a wedding feast according to the custom of the land, and it lasted for seven days. And now Patriarchs and Prophets again, page 563. At his marriage feast, Samson was brought into familiar association with those who hated the God of Israel. Whoever voluntarily enters into such relations will feel it necessary to conform to some degree to the habits and customs of his companions. The time thus spent is worse than wasted. Thoughts are entertained and words are spoken that tend to break down the strongholds of principles and to weaken the citadel of the soul. Now verse 11. And it came to pass when they saw him, that they brought thirty companions to be with him. The story of the wedding feast is nothing short of amazing. Samson was actually quite vulnerable to the enticements of the occasion. Keep in mind that the woman's relations were really nice to him, at least on the surface, and they made him unwind and feel quite relaxed. They 
arranged thirty companions to be with him, perhaps to do him honor and to help him as his groomsmen. But more likely they were a little fearful of him and wanted a guard upon him since he was so strong and powerful. Perhaps they were also jealous of him and would like to have spies to watch his every move. Friends, if you're unequally yoked with those who are not faithful to God's message in these last days, you risk great losses. You risk having friends who are no friends indeed. Even though they may be very friendly, you cannot trust them. They will always be working against you. And as God's church, we should never mingle with the enemies of the truth, as if to participate in their feasts and join them in their festivities. Ecumenical worship services and other ecumenical meetings are truly forbidden. Remember the daughters of Babylon are enticing. They will, however, find a way to learn the secret of our strength. You can propose deep questions that will engage their minds, but they will never understand the answers and will pervert the truth into lies. So Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you, if you can certainly declare it me within the seven days of the feast, and find it out, then I will give you thirty sheets and thirty changes of garments. But if you cannot declare it me, then shall ye give me thirty sheets and thirty changes of garments. And they said unto him, Put forth thy riddle, that we may hear it. These thirty men accepted the challenge of the riddle. So Samson, who invented the riddle, said unto him, Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not in three days expound the riddle. Think about this, my friends. If Samson is a type of God's last message, the three angels' messages, its strength would be sweet because no one would be able to overthrow it. It would gain victories and make disciples of all nations. It would defeat the arguments of God's enemies, and it would stand pure and strong amid the moral darkness of our age. And isn't that what the three angels' messages are designed to do? None of these thirty men could figure out the riddle, even though it was really quite easy. If you think of the strongest beast, surely one of them would have come up with a lion. And if you think of the sweetest meat around, surely one of them would have thought of honey. After all, neither lions nor honey are unfamiliar to them. But either they were so dull of mind or so inebriated that they could not think clearly. For whatever reason, they could not even stumble upon so plain a riddle as Samson's. Verse 15. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to, unto Samson's wife, Entice thy husband that he may declare unto us the riddle, lest we burn thee and thy father's house with fire. Have ye called us to take that we have? Is it not so? They accused Samson's bride of trying to get for Samson what was theirs. They threatened to kill her by a most barbaric form of death that is, by burning her with fire. But if she could not get the answer for them, they would destroy her and her father's house. This was mean and brutish. No doubt this frightened her, and she determined to get the answer. Had they had things in true perspective, don't you think it would have been a, the better part of wisdom to just admit that they could not answer the riddle and pay the small price of a shirt and a coat? But no, they could not let this foreigner get away with the better of them. They could not stand to lose, even so small a wager. But they knew not what was in store. Now I want you to notice something. It was on the seventh day of the week, the fourth day of the feast, that they threatened her. 
In other words, on the Sabbath, the day on which God commanded rest, that she began her vexations against Samson. I think it's very interesting that the Sabbath day is mentioned here and was used as the day to begin the pressure on the wife of Samson to find out their riddle. Isn't the Sabbath the final test of God's people by which they'll be put under a lot of pressure? Why would these scheming Philistines use the Sabbath? Friends, it is the Sabbath that is the key to understanding Christ in his fullness. It is the Sabbath that unlocks the understanding of the three angels' messages, the sanctuary message, the sealing message, and many other key principles of faith in these last days. The Sabbath ties them all together. The Sabbath is the most important point of controversy with the enemies of God's people. So it is over the Sabbath that the pressure is applied on God's true people that refuse to join in ecumenical worship and other ecumenical projects. Verse 16, And Samson's wife wept before him and said, Thou dost but hate me and lovest me not. Thou hast put forth a riddle unto the children of my people and hast not told me. And he said unto her, Behold, I have not told my father nor my mother, and shall I tell it thee? Samson's wife knew that Samson would not have his love questioned. So she argued that he did not love her because he would not tell her the answer to the riddle. And it worked, even though he protested that he hadn't even told his parents. Now verse 17. And she wept before him the seven days while their feast lasted or that is, for the rest of the seven days of the feast. And this was embarrassing to Samson. She was marring the mirth. How can a woman weep and cry like a spoiled child at her own wedding? Well, that's what she did. Continuing on, And it came to pass on the seventh day that he told her, because she lay sore upon him, and she told the riddle to the children of her people. This woman was more loyal to her people than to Samson, could not Samson have prevented them from fulfilling the threats of the thirty companions? Could not Samson have defended her father's house against a whole army? Yet she was not trustworthy. She treacherously betrayed him. Think about what it would be like to have joined with an ecumenical church, as Samson had done in type with the woman of Timnath. Her tears are a type of what the ecumenical movement does to some who do not understand God's last message and are vulnerable to its advances. That ecumenical church makes you feel like your powerful three angels' messages are of no value. They complain that they are too legalistic. They even think that they are founded in bigotry. They argue that they do not emphasize the cross and forgiveness. They teach that your former denomination is a cult and that you are now free in Christ. You don't need to keep the Sabbath anymore. You don't need to worry about keeping any of the Ten Commandments, for that matter. For Jesus has forgiven you your sins, past, present, and future. They make friends with you and then teach you that you were deceived by your former denomination. Eventually, you begin to see your former church members as naive and deceived. You begin to see them as enemies and their stubbornness as rebellion. When a Sunday law is proposed by the legislative body of the land, you are caught by surprise because you have ridiculed the idea that such a thing could happen. And now you can't really leave your new ecumenical associations because you would have to recant your strong remarks of loyalty to the ecumenical principles. You're stuck. 
You can't get out of the ecumenical movement very easily, and moreover, you are angry that the people you once fellowship with are achieving what you thought was impossible. Friends, I think we'd better think twice about joining the nice-sounding ecumenical movement. After all, it has teeth, and will eventually persecute those who are not prepared to go along. Now verse 18. And the men of the city said unto him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And he said unto them, If ye had not plowed with my heifer, ye had not found out my riddle. Samson knew what had happened. He also now knew that he could not trust his wife. Now verse 19. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, and slew thirty men of them, and took their spoil, and gave change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. Note that the Spirit of the Lord enabled Samson to kill thirty men of Ashkelon. The Philistines were very near the end of their probationary time, and God was working to deliver Israel from their control. God was trying to wean Samson from his new relations. After all, God was still merciful to Samson. He knew that he could still use him, and if he would repent and live correctly, he could still make him a great deliverer. Friends, it is better to be angry with the Philistines than to be in love with them. Or to put it more pointedly in our time, it is better to despise the ecumenical churches than to join them. Verse 20. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used as his friend. Samson withdrew in displeasure at the whole affair, but instead of begging Samson's pardon for what she had done to him, his wife married another, the chief of the guests, perhaps, the friend of the bridegroom. Friends, we cannot put confidence in man or in man's schemes. They will always come to disappointment and even ruin. May God help us to be faithful to the message. May we learn the three angels' messages and taste of their sweetness. Let us always be loyal to God and in every way avoid compromise with those who would lead us away from His power. Next month we will look at more of this powerful story. Let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, thank you for the story of Samson. It is a fitting reminder that we are living in a time that was symbolized by his marriage to this Philistine woman of Timnath. Please help us as your people to see and understand the dangers of the ecumenical movement and learn to live by faith in Christ so that nothing can dissuade us from following in his way. Give us victory over the lions that attack, and may we stand firm in Christ in every emergency. In Jesus' name. Amen.
We hope you've been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you so much for your support. If you've been impressed by this message and it has stirred and blessed your soul, please consider making a gift to help some other poor souls find their way to heaven through the CDs from Keep the Faith. The song you've just heard is called Oh for a Closer Walk with God, sung by Melissa Collette. The song is recorded on a CD with other lovely hymns and songs called Glorious Love. This lovely CD is available from Keep the Faith Ministry. If you would like to have a copy of this CD or copies for your friends or family, just send $16 each postpaid to U.S. addresses to cover the cost, and we will gladly send them. Please mention the Glorious Love CD. Our international listeners should send $20 USD. The following is our monthly prophetic intelligence briefing, a feature that brings you current events in light of Bible prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month, Hawaii lava flow destroys homes. The massive lava flow oozes like fiery molasses, gobbling up everything in its path. Homes, power poles, roads, and trees. The boiling vents roar like ocean waves, throwing lava hundreds of feet into the air and igniting nearby vegetation. Flames creep across what were once lush green yards, leaving a smoldering trail of destruction. Trees and utility poles crash alarmingly to the ground, dozens of feet from where the crackling flow surfaced. It's a scene dramatic and dangerous as a menacing new lava flow from the Kilauea volcano was on a collision course with homes in the Leilani neighborhood of Hawaii's Big Island. The number of homes destroyed by Hawaii's Kilauea volcano jumped to 26. Some of the more than 1,700 people who evacuated prepared for the possibility they may not return for quite some time. How can I walk away from this, Greg Chun said. It's a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Fissures have opened up in the ground, with a total of 22 fissures at the time of this report. Fire officials conducted another safety sweep of homes and watched helplessly as lava engulfed a green single-story house. Anxious evacuees had hoped to return to their homes to check on their property and pets, but that appeared unlikely given the new flow. Greg Weber, another resident who refused to evacuate, said he watched eight of his neighbor's homes burn. I won't leave until it's an inch from my house, he said. I've been through this a million times. Hundreds of small earthquakes rumbled through the area after a magnitude 6.9 trembler the largest earthquake to jolt Hawaii in more than 40 years, struck the island. Magma moving through Kilauea set off the earthquakes, said geologists who warned of aftershocks. The U.S. Geological Survey said this event is far from over. More earthquakes and eruptions could cover the area with plumes of ash. Kilauea is one of five volcanoes on the island, an attraction for 8.9 million visitors the state sees annually. One of the world's most active volcanoes, it has been erupting since 1983. More than 100 people stayed at the Red Cross shelter for a third night, trying to keep their spirits up and wondering what their neighborhoods will look like when they've been allowed to return. 
The U.S. Geological Survey volcanologist Wendy Stovall said that more magna remains in the system and that as long as that supply is there, the eruption will continue. You will see the accidents that are befalling us in our world, those that are on the cars and the games and that are on the water and the flame and the fire and the blood and the volcanoes and all these things. They are perishing. Why? The Spirit of God is being withdrawn from the earth. Manuscript 229. 1902. Next, Ebola is back yet again. Of course, it was only a matter of time before Ebola would show its deadly self once again, but now Congo's Ebola outbreak has spread to a crossroads city of more than a million people in a troubling turn that marks the first time the vast, impoverished country has had to fight the lethal virus in an urban area. Medical teams rushed to track down anyone who thought to have had contact with infected people, while the World Health Organization continued shipping thousands of doses of an experimental vaccine. One confirmed case and one suspected case of hemorrhagic fever were discovered in an area that includes Mbandaka, a densely populated provincial capital on the Congo River, said Congo's health minister, Oli Ilunga. The city of 1.2 million is about 150 kilometers or 93 miles from Bikoro, the rural area where the outbreak was announced. The scenario has changed and it has become most serious and worrying since the disease is now affecting an urban area, said Henry Gray, emergency coordinator in Mbandeka for Doctors Without Borders. A total of 44 cases of Ebola have been reported in Congo since this outbreak was first identified. Three confirmed, 20 probable, and 21 suspected, according to the World Health Organization. 23 people among those cases have died. Up to now, the outbreak was confined to remote rural areas where Ebola is easier to contain. The virus, which is spread by bodily fluids, can travel far more easily in heavily populated areas. We are entering a new phase of the Ebola outbreak, Ilunga said. Mbandaka is a busy travel corridor in Congo's northwest Equiture province and is upstream from the capital, Kinshasa, a city of about 10 million. It is an hour's plane ride from Kinshasa or a four to seven day trip by river barge. Doctors Without Borders said 514 people believed to have been in contact with infected people are being monitored. The WHO said it is deploying about 30 more experts to the city. Those exposed will, for the first time in Congo, receive Ebola vaccinations, the health minister said. Who has sent 4,000 doses to Congo and said it will dispatch thousands more in the coming days as needed. The vaccine has been shown to be highly effective against Ebola. It was tested in Guinea during the outbreak that killed more than 11,300 people in West Africa from 2014 to 2016. WHO has said it will use the ring vaccination method. It involves vaccinating contacts of those feared infected, contacts of those contacts, and healthcare and other frontline workers. This is the ninth Ebola outbreak in Congo since 1976, when the disease was first identified. The virus is initially transmitted to people from wild animals, including bats and monkeys. There is no specific treatment for Ebola. Symptoms include fever, vomiting, diarrhea, muscle pain, and at times internal and external bleeding. The virus can be fatal in up to 90% of cases, depending on the strain. Ebola is now apparently endemic to certain countries in Africa. 
it will likely keep popping up. Eventually, a strain that is really deadly will terrify whole nations and the world. The Bible predicts it. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. That's Matthew 24, verse 7. Next, Trinidad and Tobago. The High Court legalizes gay lifestyle. The High Court of Justice in Trinidad and Tobago ruled on April 12, 2018, that the country's laws criminalizing same-sex intimacy between consenting adults are unconstitutional. Section 13 of Trinidad and Tobago's Sexual Offenses Act punishes buggery, or an anal intercourse, punishable by sentences up to 25 years in prison. Section 16 of the same act, on serious indecency, stipulates that a person who is sexually intimate with a person of the same sex without having intercourse is liable to imprisonment for up to five years. The High Court in Trinidad and Tobago with this ruling made a powerful statement that the legal sanctions on same-sex intimacy impinge on basic rights, ranging from privacy and family life to freedom of thought and expression, said Boris Dittrich, LGBT rights advocacy director at Human Rights Watch. This is a major step forward in a region where the rights of LGBT people are restricted. Jason Jones, the claimant in the case, who challenged the law, is an openly gay citizen of Trinidad and Tobago who left the country because of severe discrimination on the basis of his sexual orientation. He visits the country from time to time and contended in his lawsuit that the buggery laws forced him to forego consensual sexual relations with a male partner or risk imprisonment. The court's reasoning that people must be able to make decisions about whom they love and whom they wish to form a family with without having to live under the constant threat that any moment they may be prosecuted is very strong, Dietrich said. The court also reasoned in its ruling that this threat is sanctioned by the state and that it serves to justify the belief that LGBT people are criminals and are therefore deemed to be of a lesser value than other people. The ruling will lend support to other human rights activists in the Caribbean to turn to the courts and seek to overturn their own country's criminal provisions banning consensual same-sex acts. Many former British colonies in the Caribbean retain colonial-era laws banning same-sex relations. Trinidad and Tobago's High Court is the second court in the Caribbean to strike down these laws as unconstitutional, following a similar ruling in Belize in 2016. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot. That's Luke 17, verse 28. Next, more stores in the U.S. go cashless. Two more large restaurant chains in the U.S. no longer accept cash. Tender Greens, with 28 restaurants on the East and West Coast, is one of the growing number of eateries that are only accepting credit and debit cards and contactless payment systems like Apple Pay or are experimenting. Interest in cashless is clearly rising. A 2016 Federal Reserve study found the number of non-cash payments, including credit and debit cards, totaled $144 billion in 2015, having grown 5.3% annually between 2012 and 2015. Sweetgreen, another salad chain on the coasts and part of the Midwest, and some independent restaurants have adopted the same policy. Two national chains are exploring it. Starbucks is experimenting with cashless in one of its shops in its hometown of Seattle. Shake Shack, the gourmet hamburger chain, began testing cashless kiosks 
at its Astor Place restaurant in New York City in October. Ordering seems to be faster when customers use plastic or contactless instead of dollars, saving a few seconds, but also it reduced the amount of time counting bills, reduced pilferage, no armored car fees, or fear of robberies. Though the strategy has some risks, the benefits are clearly weighted on the side of cashless. Tendergreen says it cut 10 seconds of ordering time by going cashless. A customer doesn't have to wait as long. It makes us competitive, President Danielle Bruno said. Senor Sisig, a fleet of five Filipino fusion food trucks in the San Francisco area, counts higher tips and less hassle as the benefits of having gone cashless this year. It's frustrating when I have valuable employees just counting cash, founder Evan Kadera said, calculating it gobbled up more than 40 hours in a total week. This was a way to get them back doing what they're good at, which was food and service. Plus, fewer customers were paying in cash anyway, having fallen from about 70% in 2010 to 19% before the change. So far, though, the giants of the fast food world remain unconvinced. McDonald's spokeswoman Andrea Abate said the chain is always looking to make things easier for our guests. Keep the Faith Ministry tracks cashless trends because the Bible tells us that eventually God's people will be restricted from buying and selling because of their refusal to comply with Sunday worship laws. A cashless environment makes it very easy to do. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. That's Revelation 13, 16 and 17. Next, Putin threatens chaos if there's another strike on Syria. Russia's President Vladimir Putin warned that the world would experience chaos if Syria were attacked again as he sent two warships carrying tanks and military equipment toward the Middle East. The vessels are believed to be heading to the Russian naval base at Tartus on the northern coast of Syria. The Russian military said that the ships are keeping track at close distance of U.S. and NATO assault ships and submarines in the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. The Russian president has responded angrily to the strikes, which were justified on the argument that Syria had allegedly used chemical weapons on its citizens in the city of Duma. The Kremlin said that Mr. Putin told his Iranian counterpart that the strikes had undermined chances of a political resolution to the conflict. Vladimir Putin, in particular, stressed that if such actions committed in violation of the UN Charter continue, then it will inevitably lead to chaos in international relations. Russia says that the chemical attack, which was a breach of international laws against the use of chemical weapons, was faked or staged. The Assad government has also denied responsibility. And there shall be wars and rumors of wars. Matthew 24, verse 6. Next, same-sex attraction. California Assembly Bill targets Christians. California AB 2943 was recently passed by the California Assembly, which is aimed at anything designed to help a person with unwanted gender dysphoria or a same-sex attraction to break free of it. It bans books, conferences, counseling that would advocate Muslim, Jewish, and Christian views on gender and sexual orientation. The California Assembly approved a bill, 50 to 18, that tells churches and others 
with traditional beliefs about gender and sexual orientation that advocating for their views could get them sued or put in jail. AB 2943 declares that advertising, offering to engage in or engaging in sexual orientation change efforts with an individual is illegal under the state's consumer fraud law. The state of California has no right to deny its residents the resources to help them find happiness or to shut down counselors, schools, and religious organizations that provide those services, said Jonathan Keller in a Twitter response to the assembly vote. Every person experiencing unwanted same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria must be allowed to pursue help in achieving their desired goals and outcomes. The implications of this legislation spread far beyond regulating the type of counseling offered by licensed therapists who are already banned from helping minors with unwanted same-sex attractions. Several legal experts have confirmed that by targeting financial transactions, AB 2943 threatens the ability of religious nonprofits, churches, and pastors from selling resources that help people practice their faith. This must-stay-gay bill, as it has been dubbed, would potentially criminalize even the sale of Bibles, because the Bible teaches that homosexuality is wrong, and that those who are same-sex attracted must not act out their attraction, as that would be sin. The text of the Assembly Bill actually says that it would be an unlawful business practice to engage in a transaction intended to result or that results in the sale or lease of goods or services to any consumer that advertise, offer to engage in, or do engage in sexual orientation change efforts with an individual. In other words, it would be illegal for a bookstore to sell books on how someone with same-sex attraction can overcome the temptation. It would make the sale or transaction illegal and punishable by law. Can you imagine the implications of this? California is actually trying to force Christians to give up their freedom of speech even when someone wants to change his gay orientation to a straight orientation. There is no personal freedom there. This extraordinarily radical bill will make California the first state, perhaps even the first governing body in the world, to adopt this form of legislation. And note carefully the vote in the Assembly, 50 to 18 in favor of the bill. This is the most egregious bill ever so far, yet this was predicted in the Bible when Jesus said, Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man shall be revealed. Here's another question to answer. Once they ban books, how long will it be before they burn them? And then how long will it be before they jail or ultimately burn the people who write, publish, or sell them, or promote them? Remember, some who live godly lives in the last days will experience the same persecutions of the Middle Ages. After all, history repeats itself. See The Great Controversy, page 581. They have already jailed Kim Davis, the county clerk in Kentucky who refused to issue same-sex marriage licenses, saying she got what she deserved. She has since been released, but not until she agreed not to interfere with her deputy clerks issuing the licenses. Some have already likened Christian conservatives to ISIS and the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and the Nazis, holding signs saying that they should be thrown to the lions. Would that have made Daniel cringe? Not in Babylon, but in America, where they're used to freedom of speech? This is completely overthrowing all common sense. I'm afraid most don't have the backbone of Daniel. 
The bill now goes to the California Senate. Same-sex activists are surrounding the California and the United States legal house. Genesis 19.4 gives us a symbolic reference. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. They mocked Lot as making himself a judge over them and threatened to deal worse with him than they had purposed toward his guests. They rushed upon him and would have torn him in pieces had he not been rescued by the angels of God. The heavenly messengers put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. That's Patriarchs and Prophets, page 159. The men and women who voted in favor of this bill are blind, just like the men of Sodom in the days of Lot. Next, Pope Francis invites Middle East religious leaders to Italy for a peace summit. Pope Francis has invited leaders of all Christian denominations in the Middle East to join him in Italy in July to discuss how they can help bring peace to the region. The meeting will take place on July 7 in the southern Adriatic port city of Bari, chosen because of its home to the relics of St. Nicholas, a figure venerated in both the western and eastern branches of Christianity. Nicholas is particularly honored by Orthodox churches in Syria, Iraq, Egypt, Lebanon, and Russia. The Vatican said the encounter would be an ecumenical meeting for peace, where the religious leaders would discuss the dramatic situation of the Middle East that affects so many brothers and sisters in the faith. All the world wondered after the beast, Revelation 13, verse 3. Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.